welcome to Pierre-Yves. My name is Angus. I serve as one of the ministry apprentices here. Um, let's pray before I begin. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word as we have it in our Bibles. Please, by your spirit, help us to understand it and know you better as we look to your son, Jesus. Amen. Are you listening? Are you really listening? That's a question that I get asked very often. I won't tell you by who, but it's, it's true, isn't it, that um, sometimes you can be listening, but not really listening, not picking up the important thing. There's a famous story about a guy who goes to an interview to become a Morse code operator back in the olden days, right? He comes into a busy office lobby a little later than he would have liked. He fills out a form, and he sits down with the other candidates. The office is busy with telephones ringing, people chattering and busting about. And after a few minutes, this guy gets up and walks into the boss's office. The other candidates grumble among themselves. I didn't hear anyone ask him to come in, did you? No, no, surely he'll get disqualified. But a moment later, the boss comes out and says, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your interest. You can all go home. This man's got the job. And they say, hang on a minute, hang on. We were here before he was, and you haven't even interviewed us yet, and you've given him the job. Boss reveals, yes. While you were all sitting here, waiting, my receptionist was tapping on her desk with her pen in Morse code. If you can understand this, come in. The job is yours. They might have heard that tapping pen, but they weren't really listening. However, the guy who heard, understood, and did something about it is the one who gets the reward. So take care how you listen. If you've been with us through the last few weeks as we've been working our way through Luke's gospel, you'll recall we've seen demonstrations of Jesus' authority. In the last chapter alone, Jesus healed a centurion's servant, told a sinful woman that she has forgiven all of her sins, and even raised a young man back to life. Jesus is not just a zealous preacher or a moral teacher from some backwater town in Israel. Dr. Luke is telling his readers, telling us, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now in this next section of Luke, beginning at chapter 8 and continuing to the middle of chapter 9, we will see more evidence for his authority and begin to see different responses to that. So here in chapter 8, Jesus is traveling from town to town, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And in verse 4, a crowd gathers to hear him teach. The different responses to him to Jesus and his teaching are typified in this parable of the four soils about how you listen. That's my first point, how you listen. Then, with the parable of the lampstand, we'll see why you listen, and then in the end, we see the result of listening. So firstly, why or how you listen. Mercifully, you don't have to rely on my interpretation of this parable, because Jesus himself told us what it means. This parable describes with its four soils, the state of our hearts to receive the seed, the word of God, which Jesus is scattering. Look at verse one. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. This first soil is a path that the seeds can't settle in. Now, in agricultural first century Israel, uh, we're not talking about a paved road. This path is a straight strip of soil and dirt that has been walked on over and over and over again. It's been trampled flat and compact and hard. 
so much so that the seeds can't even get in, so they get taken away. This soil, Jesus tells us, represents someone who the word of God just bounces off. They're not interested in anything it has to say. The second soil is shallow, so while it can sustain the seed for a little while, when the sun comes out, the plant withers. Its roots aren't deep enough to get enough water to sustain it. And this represents a person who receives the word with some excitement, but lacks a persevering faith to endure what Jesus calls the time of testing, in verse 13. That might be one of life's many difficulties, maybe the breakdown of a relationship, the loss of a loved one, maybe seeing something disastrous happening in the world or experiencing it firsthand. But in any case, this person's roots are not deep enough to endure this, so they fall away. In the third soil, there's competition from these thorn bushes which choke the seed. And this represents a person whose love of the world, love of other things, gets in the way of their persevering faith. That could be relationships or money or alcohol or career progress or anything. But this sort of love for worldly things that Jesus describes in verse 14 is what the Bible calls idolatry, a sin where we put something else as number one on our list instead of God. The thorn bushes represent that sin. And note the difference. So in the second soil, the plant dies quickly. When the sun comes out, it withers. In this third soil, the choking thorns of sin operate much more slowly. It's a slippery slope and a slow decline, but the word of God and sin can't coexist in a person's heart forever. And things don't look very good at this point because none of these soils seem to be doing what they're supposed to, what the sower intends. But finally, in the fourth soil, we see the result the sower is looking for. The reason that they sow, the seed grows to produce a crop. And what a yield, a hundred times what was sown. This soil is deep enough to receive the seed, and there are no thorns in the way. This represents a person with, Jesus says, a noble and good heart who retains the word of God and produces a crop by their perseverance. The perseverance that Jesus is talking about here is faith, faith in him. So we have to ask, what's the difference between these soils? Why are some people like a certain soil and other people like others? Why does the seed have a different effect on some soils and not others? Jesus says, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Some people have ears to hear and some don't. So look at verse nine. Before they've heard the explanation, the disciples ask Jesus what he's talking about. And we get to see a part of the reason why there is variation in these soils. In verse 10, Jesus tells them, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, emphasis on you, the disciples. But to others, I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see, and though hearing, they may not understand. Now here's an intriguing verse, right? The secrets of the kingdom of God. That sounds like something we should know about, right? How do we, how do we find these secrets? Well, you don't have to crack the Da Vinci Code or find out the hidden meaning of all the numbers and images in the Bible. You don't even have to understand Morse code to get the secrets of the kingdom of God. Jesus told the disciples, these things have been revealed to you. The secret has been revealed. And the disciples haven't done any cosmic numerology to find it. All they have done is get up and follow him. 
The secrets of the kingdom of God are being revealed to the disciples as they walk with Jesus, spend time in his presence, hear his word. Now, getting up and following him maybe looks like a reckless decision at first, right? The disciples all sacrifice something to do this. Earlier in Luke, when Jesus calls Peter, James, and John the fishermen, you remember how they leave their nets, their livelihoods by the side of the water in order to follow him. Following Jesus means sacrificing something else, but the secrets of the kingdom of God are revealed to those who do. And the secret is Jesus himself. Jesus, who for so long wasn't here in the flesh, but one spoken about in prophecies, the savior the Jews were waiting for. Is it Moses? No. Is it David? No. Is it Solomon? No. Who is it going to be? Who's going to save God's people? That's the secret part. But then Jesus, the son of God, who was and is God, came down from heaven, taking on human form as a baby in Bethlehem, coming to pay the sacrifice for sin with his life and to be raised from the dead to ascend to heaven and reign at God's right hand forever. That's what's being revealed, and this is good news. Because by his death, he offers us reconciliation to God, who we have lived in rebellion against as sinful people. Jesus offers this beautiful gift of grace, the forgiveness of our sins, and a restoration of the relationship with our creator who loves us so much if only we repent in him and have faith in him as our savior. So some people get to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. And for others, still in verse 10, though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. So here Jesus is quoting from Isaiah chapter six, verse nine, that chapter that Tom read for us earlier. If you don't know, Isaiah is a book in the Old Testament that would have been very familiar to the Jewish people in Jesus' time. This is about the ministry of Isaiah, the prophet, God's mouthpiece to the people in Jerusalem about 700 years before Jesus' life. And this bit that Jesus quotes describes God's judgment on unfaithful Israel, God's people. Judgment, God talks about until the cities lie destroyed, until the fields are ravaged. These people were given warning after warning, chance after chance to turn away from their sin and idolatry, and they still didn't. So God establishes his right to judge them according to their ignorance of his word. This verse in Isaiah shows the response, that the response to God's word draws a definite line in the sand for all people. It makes the difference between judgment and salvation. And Jesus saying this in a way, also draws on the disciples' own understanding of their national history. So as Jesus quotes Isaiah and conjures that judgment up in their minds, it's a wake-up call to us as well to make sure that they do hear, that they do listen, and they do understand what God is saying. A call for them to be like the fourth soil, receptive to his word, rather than like the first three, where ignorance to God's word means judgment. So there's these four soils, and obviously we want to be the good one. We want to be the fourth soil, which Jesus says, by persevering, produces a crop. How do we do that? Well, in this next few verses, we see why you listen, how to produce that crop. We see in verse 15, the crop is produced by retaining the word of God and persevering. 
persevering by faith in Jesus. Faith in him creates that noble and good heart that Jesus mentions as the work of his spirit causes transformation in our lives. So how do you produce a crop? You persevere in faith in him. And this next section, the parable of the lamp, shows us more of that. So look with me from verse 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Okay, what's going on here? First, a story about a farmer and now this lesson in interior design. Okay, Jesus isn't talking about feng shui, but how the disciples are to produce a good crop. This little section shows us some of the marks of a true disciple. Firstly, the lamp and the lampstand. So a lamp in Jesus' time wasn't a five-foot-tall Ikea floor lamp, but a little oil lamp that you could carry in one hand. And the right place to put that is up on a stand, not hidden under a bed or a jar. The light is Jesus and his gospel, this good news that we've talked about, about salvation for sinners. And the challenge to the disciples is not to keep this light hidden. Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and hides it. Not to keep it hidden, but to put it on display so that those who come in may see the light. The disciples are to share the gospel too. Like in the parable of the sower, where the good soil produces a crop. What's the biological purpose of a crop? The fruit that a plant produces? It's got more seeds in it. Okay, the crop that Jesus' disciples are to produce is a scattering of more seed, the word of God in their own life, putting the light of Jesus up on the lampstand of their lives to shine for all to see. Then in verse 17, Jesus says, there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Before the Lord, the creator of the universe, there is nothing that can be hidden. God knows the true state of our hearts much more than we do ourselves. We can't fake listening to him. Jesus has already demonstrated how he sees through the hypocrisy of the religious elite, the Jewish Pharisees in Luke so far. So Jesus says to his disciples, consider carefully how you listen in verse 18. The good news of the kingdom of God is being revealed. So pay attention. Don't miss it. The way that you respond to the word of God has significance and meaning, and it can't be faked. So take care how you listen, because still in verse 18, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Now, if we hear the first part of that as the rich get richer, it seems a little inconsistent with Jesus' teaching about spiritual blessings for the poor, the broken, for the sinners, This isn't about material blessing, but a spiritual one. Those with ears to hear the word of God will be given more. But whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Just like that Isaiah quote reminds us, those who don't have ears to hear the word of God, who don't listen to what Jesus is saying, have nothing and will lose even what they think they have. Again, God's word draws the dividing line between judgment and and salvation. And finally, in this passage, we see the result of listening, the 
more that is given to those with ears to hear. Okay, look with me from verse 20. Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Okay, quickly look back with me at chapter 7, verse 16. This is what the people say after Jesus raises a young man during his funeral procession. Verse 16, they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. God has come to help his people. Who are God's people? Well, the assumption is that God's people were the nation of Israel, the Jews. And for many people, only the proper Jews. Only the people who were obeying the law playing by the rules, doing all the religious stuff the way it was supposed to be done. However, back in chapter 5, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus' ministry turns that presumed order of things where the religious people who get it all right get the reward. Jesus turns that on its head. We see this in chapter 7, where Jesus is amazed by the faith of a Roman centurion. A Roman, not a Jew, but the oppressors, who many thought Jesus was coming to kick out of Israel with a a military uprising. Jesus says he's not seen greater faith than the centurions in all Israel. Later in that chapter, Jesus criticizes and challenges Simon the Pharisee, a religious leader, for his arrogance and indifference to Jesus while commending the faith of a sinful woman, a prostitute, and forgiving her her sins. We see more unexpected people following Jesus at the beginning of this passage, back in chapter 8. Look at verse 2. Some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. Now, We don't know who Susanna is. She doesn't appear anywhere else in Scripture. But even without her, and without any details on her, we see that these usual qualifications for who's in doesn't apply. Mary Magdalene had been possessed by seven demons, and here she is following Jesus. And then Joanna, whose husband works for one of the most powerful men in Judea, Herod, where many of Jesus' disciples are our poor agricultural farmers or fishermen, Jesus' ministry spans the dividing lines of classes and social ranks, not to mention gender. The very fact that he's engaging with women would have been radically countercultural for a rabbi at the time, but he values them equally. He teaches them just like he did the men. So at the start of this passage, class and history and gender doesn't rule you out. At the end of the passage, Genetics or birthplace doesn't necessarily get you in either. Again, it's all about how you hear the word of God. Jesus says, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. The result of listening to Jesus, to receiving the word of God and putting his word into practice, producing a crop, is adoption into Jesus' family, adoption into God's people. Broken sinners are welcomed into the family of the holy God because of faith in Jesus. And notice that in this faith, Jesus emphasizes, in this verse, Jesus emphasizes both. Jesus doesn't say, my family are those who are nice people, 
or who give to charity or who drink from paper straws instead of plastic. We've already seen in Luke that Jesus rebukes those people who get all the practice right, who are good people, who do the right stuff, but aren't hearing in faith. First, you hear the word of God and then put it into practice. So what do we, what do we make of all of this? Well, I'd be quite confident to say that every one of us, whether you've come in for the first time by yourself, with a friend, you find a video online, or you're here every single week, all of us can identify with at least one of those four soils in the first parable. And I think for each kind of person, this passage has something to say and something you can do. So maybe you identify with the first soil. Maybe your heart is so hard that the word of God just bounces off it. You say, it's not for me, this church stuff, this Jesus stuff. Friends, can I tell you that it is for you? No matter who you are, the good news of Jesus is for everyone. Jesus came to Jews and Romans, men and women, self-aware sinners and self-proclaimed saints alike. And the invitation to them all is the same. Repent and believe. Repent Turn away from the life that you're living, the one that denies or refuses or rejects God, and turn to him in faith. And believe, let his word into your heart. Let it transform you from the inside out to be more like him and produce a crop of faith. Like I said earlier, to follow him means to sacrifice something, but forgiveness for your sins and reconciliation with God, adoption into his family is there for the taking. And please hear Jesus' warning again. To whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken away from them. Maybe you identify with the second soil. Maybe you're hearing this good news and it all sounds great and you want what Jesus offers, but you don't feel like you've got your roots down yet. Can I encourage you to persevere? Keep coming and meeting with us on Sundays. The Bible is a big, intimidating book and it doesn't all make sense at first, but it will. So keep coming. Keep listening to the word of God and get plugged in here. Consider becoming a member. Ask for someone to read the Bible with you. I'll be at the door in the end. Please come and talk to me and I can help you with that. And, and remember, the word of God is a seed and it doesn't grow into a crop like that. It takes time. Keep listening. Maybe you feel like the third soil. You've heard the word of God, but there are thorns in the way. You know that there are sins or idols in your life that are hindering you. Maybe it's the way you treat people. Maybe it's the way your priorities are. Maybe it's what you do when the door is closed and no one else is around. And this could be true for you whether you've come here for the first time, you have no idea what church is, or whether you've been a member for a church for years and years and years and you know all the right things to say and do. Maybe this is true for you. Remember in this parable that these things, these thorn bushes, choke the word of God in our lives. So please, cut them out. Pray to God for the help of his Holy Spirit to turn away from your sin. Pray that the Spirit would make that sin so disgusting that you just want to run away from it. And lastly, if you know the Lord Jesus today, you'll have some level of identification with that fourth soil. You've heard the word of God, proclaimed faith in Jesus, and your life is showing the fruits of that. 
And that's not time for well done you and patting yourself on the back. That's time to say praise God. Okay, look back at when the word of God was first sown in your life. Look back with thanksgiving to the Lord who brings the growth and rejoice. Isn't it wonderful to have been adopted into the family of the creator of the universe? Rejoice that you have this light of Jesus. But can I challenge you, brothers and sisters, are you hiding it under a bed or under a jar? Or is it up on the lampstand? Have you seen fruitfulness in your life in the last week or month? Think about that as you remember the words of Hebrews 12, as you keep running the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Are you scattering the seed in your own life, prayerfully depending on Jesus to bring the growth as you share the gospel with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your flatmates? Are you persevering in faith, depending on him every single day? Are you giving what you have to Jesus? Like these women in verse three who supported Jesus and the disciples out of their own means. Are you seeing the fruit? Are you taking care of how you listen? Well, let me invite the band up. Whatever soil you identify with, whether you've heard about Jesus for the first time or the thousandth time, we can never get enough of looking to Jesus, the wondrous mystery of the kingdom of God that has been revealed to us, the light shining in the darkness. Let's stand and sing about that now. Please stand.